Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's our passage for today. Matthew chapter 6, as was mentioned, we are beginning a series that will take us uh, through the Lord's Prayer. Here's the key concept for today. We should pray that God's name will be respected and revered. That's where we begin, that God's name will be respected and revered. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be in just a moment. And while you find that passage, this is a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He writes this, Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees. He comes face to face with God there. Prayer is the highest activity of the human soul and the ultimate test of a man's or woman's true spiritual condition. I read that quote and I asked myself, why does he say it's a test? And if prayer is a test, are we passing the test? I think he's right. And I think prayer is a test. And it's a test because it's difficult. And it's difficult because it's unnatural. It breaks us away from the natural inclination that we have when facing something to do what we would call taking action, getting busy. Prayer feels like a pause. It feels like a waiting period. It it seems to be a delay. And when that's the way we think about prayer, we are woefully misunderstanding prayer And that misunderstanding will keep us away from prayer. Prayer is action. Prayer is ministry. Prayer is spiritual work getting done. And that brings us to the second reason why prayer is hard. Because prayer is warfare. Satan doesn't want you to pray. He fights to distract you from prayer. Even if you pray alone with God there, Satan, wants, Satan recognizes that you are doing the, the work of a relationship there, communicating with your God. You're living out your relationship, and he does not want you to do that. Prayer is a test because it's hard, but we pass the test by being people of prayer and recognizing that there we are engaging Engaging the work and engaging the enemy. And so as we come to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, we need to be reminded that actually the Lord's Prayer in various versions shows up twice in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6 and ironically in Luke chapter 6 as well. Here in our passage, Jesus is teaching on prayer to the multitudes during the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke chapter 6, he gives a private lesson in prayer to his disciples. And that lesson is prompted by the fact that disciples have specifically asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. They've observed Jesus praying. And you can almost imagine their thought process. They're saying to themselves, now, now we are good Jewish boys. We grew up in Jewish homes. We've learned the prayers that are associated with certain situations and certain times. We say those prayers. But when we see Jesus praying, it is different. There's something new about this, unique about His praying. And the Luke passage shows us how Uh, central to Jesus' life and his ministry prayer was. And they observed that and they asked him, teach us to pray. When you ask somebody to teach you to do something, you do that because you know that they are really good at that and they do it often. 
If you went to somebody and they say, teach me how to play golf, you're going to somebody who's a, a good golfer and is regularly out there and can give you the skills. If you come to me and say, pastor, teach me to golf, I'll say, there must be a YouTube on that. Or you say, teach me to play the piano. You're saying that to somebody who's great at playing the piano. And so they've observed that Jesus is centrally a prayer person. And it's interesting to me to see that in the ministry of Jesus, the, the years that he was to get together with the apostles, they ask him a lot of things. They say, tell us, tell us where you're going. Show us the Father. Who is the greatest among us? Who will sit on your right and who will sit on your left? And often when they left Jesus after asking questions like that, they're kind of scratching their heads on the answers. I didn't really get an answer there. But when they say, teach us to pray, Jesus gets right at it. He gets busy. It's almost as if finally you have asked a question that's important right now. Now in our situation, our, our passage in Matthew chapter 6, the setting is public. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And there, Jesus is teaching a wider audience. And he uses similar but not exact words than you find in Luke 6. And so to orient us to the beginning of this series, I'd like us to read together out loud the, uh, the, the, the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew chapter 6. But do it from the screen because uh, uh, so we're all reading the same version, okay? So we'll put the words on the screen and let's read together. Reading. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in our treatment of the Lord's Prayer in, the, in this series, we're going to add what's called the benediction to the prayer, and that is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you have a modern translation of the Bible, probably that section is bracketed off or maybe even in the margins uh, of your Bible. And when we get to that, I'm going to explain why that is. But today, as we begin looking at the Lord's Prayer, the, the first question is, what is this prayer? You see... In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching people how to live a righteous life. And he understands that prayer is a part of a righteous life. But the question is, is this something that we are to recite or is this a guide to our prayers, a, a pattern, if you will, to prayer? Now, the fact is that Jesus doesn't say, this is what you should say when you pray. He says, this is how you should, you should pray. And when you take that and put it alongside the, the prayer in Luke chapter 6, the wording is not exactly the same. Those two th uh, things put together teach me that this really is a model prayer. It's a pattern of prayer. But it's not bad to repeat the Lord's Prayer. Actually, we just did that, right? But the thing that we, not, we need to avoid is to slip into an unthinking, rote repetition of the words for this or any prayer that sometimes humans can slip into. You see, there's a difference between praying a prayer and saying a prayer. Jesus is calling us to pray. 
Back in Luke 7, excuse me, uh, Matthew uh, 6, verse 7, he uh, gives us the reason for why he's even teaching on prayer in the first place, and that is he wants to warn people against a mindless repetition of words. In Matthew 6, 7, he says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. He gives us this prayer pattern so that we avoid just slipping into rote repetition so that we think about how we ought to pray, a prayer pattern. My wife likes to sew, and she has uh, in her collection many patterns that she has used for sewing clothes for herself and for the girls as they were growing up. But one thing I never saw her do, I never saw her take that pap those paper patterns and put them on as the clothes themselves. The pattern is a guide, and from it we are meant to be creative, but it is something that guides us in reverent prayer. However, the words are beautiful, the words are powerful, the words are Jesus' words, the words are in the Bible, so there's nothing wrong with reciting the prayer to guide our reverence. But today we're talking a little bit about the content of the prayer. So let's focus on verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's take that apart a little bit. The prayer starts with an address. The very fact that Jesus says, begin your prayer addressing God, reminds us that prayer is talking to God. It's not talking to ourselves. It's an intentional communication with the Almighty. I'm reminded of a scene, a situation that comes from Bill Moyer's life. He was active and serving Lyndon Johnson when he was president of the United States, and Moyer's was a graduate of Southern Baptist, uh, Southwestern Baptist uh, uh, Seminary. And as such, from time to time, Johnson, President Johnson, would call on him to say a blessing over the meal. And one time, as Moyer's was praying, the president, President Johnson, gruffly interrupted him. He said, speak up, Bill. I can't hear what you're saying. And Moyers responded, Mr. President, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Good point. We address God in the beginning of the prayer to fix our minds that this is communication with Him. Prayer is not meditation. It's not reflection. Prayer is not therapy. Prayer is not some sort of self-centering exercise. You are talking to someone when you pray. You're talking to God. And notice with me, it starts, Our Father. A plural, not my father. It's not that you can't pray by yourself, but Jesus is reminding us here that as you begin your prayer, remember that you are part of a family, the family of God. First Peter puts it this way, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And as you start the prayer, our father, it reminds us we're in this together. You see, we have a relationship, each of us, a relationship with God, and it's personal, but it's not private. We are part of a company, a company of believers. And we start the prayer by rejoicing that we have a spiritual father and he's the father over our spiritual family. In fact, throughout the prayer, there's not a single singular pronoun. There's, there's no I or me. It's ours and us reminding us that we're connected to a forever family as we pray. And when we call God Father, we are saying something special about ourselves in relationship to Him. What we are not saying is what anybody would say in the world, well, I, I, I believe God is the creator of all, so in that vague sense, we are all God's children. That's what we're not saying. We're saying, no, God has saved me. 
God has given me rebirth, new life. I've been born again into the family of God, and God is my Father because of that in a special way. Our Father in heaven. God is not wish projection. He's not a fairy tale that cause, calls us just to learn a lesson. God is someone who is someplace, and he has an address, and the address is heaven. We are part of this spiritual family that has cosmic implications. God rules all creation and everything that is from the throne room of heaven. And that picture is important because any less of a God would not do us much good. See, the good that we pray for, that for God to do in our world, will be accomplished by a power that is out of this world, our Father in heaven. And locating God there, reminding ourselves of His glory, keeps us from domesticating God and making Him in our minds, in our image, rather than we be made in His image. God is not like us. God is not one of us in the sense of our limitations. He is wholly other, beyond and above. God is not an American. He's not a Californian. He doesn't live here. He can't be housed in our sanctuaries. However, He is everywhere present all at once, but in a special and unique way. He dwells in heaven. And He occupies there a place of honor outside the evil of this world, exalted and glorified. Yet He invites us to pray. He invites us to talk with Him and promises that He will listen. Think of that. It is an act of grace on God's part that He hears your prayers. And we are to pray humbly. But know you have a loving Father who listens. Our Father in heaven also teaches us a little bit about heaven. Heaven is not just an idea. It is not a state of mind. Heaven is a place. It's a location. It's a place where you can be. It is a place where God is. Psalm 33 says, From heaven the Lord looks down and He sees all mankind. From His dwelling place He watches over all who live on the earth. In heaven God is intimately aware of all that's going on in His creation all at once but also of you, our Father in heaven. Taken together, it has a balance that we need to notice in our prayers. There is intimacy and there is approachability, but there is also respect and honor and glory for our Father God. And our Father in heaven, as the opening address, prompts the first request of the Lord's Prayer, and that is, hallowed be your name. Now, we don't use the word hallow very much. In fact, it's a little bit strange to us. One little boy was learning about the Lord's Prayer in Sunday school, and he didn't understand what it meant, hallowed be your name. So he, does, he did what we often do, and that is when we don't understand the lyrics of a song or don't understand something, we kind of insert words that we can figure out. And so when he was asked to recite the Lord's Prayer, he said it this way, Our Father in heaven, how did you know my name? He understood that. You know, we don't always understand hallow, but it means to treat it as holy. And this is the pattern. We are to start our prayers with adoration and worship. And starting our prayers that way stops me from living and from praying as if I was the center of the universe. 
as I'm really only concerned for my own glory and getting what I want. The prayer confronts me to say, you begin by glorifying God and ask Him to be glorified in your life. Remind yourself not to be a glory thief because God alone deserves the glory. Hallowed be your name. The name is the description. It is the explanation. A name in Scripture is never just a label. It is much more than that. Back in Exodus when uh, Moses encounters God in the burning bush, he realizes that he's not in the presence of a force or an idea or a concept. He's face to face with a personal being who is God. And this being has a name and has an identity. And he asks for that name. It's not just a label. It tells you something about the truth of the, of the person who bears the name. And we see all kinds of names throughout the Scripture attributed to God. And often compound words. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. El Roy, the God who sees me. Now as you read that throughout the scripture, God is not changing his name as if he's confused about his identity. All of these are various aspects of who he is and how we encounter him over time. And so in Exodus chapter 3, the name is revealed. And in that sense, Moses gets the, to be, look behind the curtain at God's secret name, the name that describes his essence. And all it can be translated as is, I am. I am the self-existent one. And when we hallow the name of God, we place him in the right place. Jesus is saying, pray that God becomes more revered and more set apart and more reverenced in your own mind and your own heart. Pray that you be more respectful and more worshipful. Pray that you're aware of who you're actually talking to when you pray. And when you pray that way, it's not going to only change the way you pray, it's going to change the way you live. Because the opposite of reverencing and respecting the holiness of God is to seek to enlist God into our human and often fallen causes. God, here's the list of tasks I would like to, you to accomplish today. I'll just kind of give you the list in the morning, and in the evening when we pray again, I'll see how you did. A lot of our prayers boil down to that. Enlisting God in our cause. No, no. Begin by reverencing God. You can ask but begin by recognizing that when you ask for blessing, what you're wanting really is God's will. Ask for His will. I was, I was confronted with the, the, what I would see, an egregious example of, of just enlisting God into our cause when I learned just recently that the Nazi soldiers, when they went into battle in World War II, they were given a belt, and the belt had in German engraved in the, wor the words, God with us. If ever there's a example of enlisting God in a godless cause. It is that. God was not on their side and they were not on the side of God. God is not someone you can put on a leash and use as a means towards your end. We live humbly under His gaze, under the will of God, and we lift Him up in prayer and say, hallowed be your name. I love you. This is why in the Christian life, we believers, we seek to live a life that's separate, a life that's different. We seek not to, to, to conform to some of the behaviors and standards that we see in the world. 
trying not to lie or cheat or steal or take advantage or, th or those kinds of things. We want to live this righteous life not to get God on our good side so, so that then somehow he'll do what we want or not because God is a policeman. If we get out of line, we get some sort of spiritual ticket. No, because he's worthy of our worship. And when you love someone who's worthy of worship, you want to live to please him. And so the prayer affects the life, and the word hallow shows up in the way that we live all throughout the Scripture. I'll use a version that doesn't change the, that uses that old-fashioned wording, but you'll see, you'll see what I mean. We hallow the name of God by fearing Him. In Isaiah 8, verse 13, the Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. Sounds negative, but really it's asking the question, who do you fear disappointing most? Do you fear disappointing your boss or your friends or your spouse or your parents? Do you fear disappointing them more than you fear disappointing God? You hallow God by fearing Him. We hallow God by obeying Him. Leviticus 22, Therefore you should keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies. You see, the deepest need of every human being is put ourselves in a right relationship to God. And if we're never in a right relationship of God, our compass will always be pointing in the wrong direction. Very early in a child's development, they believe that their parents can handle anything. They think mom and dad are invincible. They can handle it. Mom and dad can handle it. I can rest securely because mom and dad are up to the task. And we know human parents that we all fail at some point. And eventually, tragically, our kids find that out as well. But you have a heavenly Father who will always be able to live up to that adoring standard of a child. You can always pray with confidence, knowing God can handle it, that God thinks of you as His in pure fatherly love, so that what He wants of you is your best. And so obedience is best. God never stops watching over us. God is always for us, and He's listening to our prayers. And so Jesus says, begin your prayers by recognizing who He is and by asking that He be revered and respected and reverenced in your life. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us the times that we pray selfish prayers. Forgive us the moments when Rather than just reporting to duty before you, we give you the laundry list of tasks. Help us to be those who pray in a way that demonstrates we understand who it is we're talking to. We love our Father God, and we are waiting to be able to simply obey you, for there is blessing. So, Lord, help us to be those who pass the test of prayer. Enable us to be prayers, for we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.